0: Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today is an incredible day for this show And I take this episode so seriously. I've been so excited to get to talk to this actor, Coleman Domingo, for a long time. He's been a real hero of mine. His career is incredible. He's worked for such a long time. You know him from Euphoria, Fear the Walking Dead, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He just hosted the Oscar after party. He's an incredible actor and his journey and his experiences are amazing. And this conversation meant so much to me. It's been in the works for some time. And I'm so grateful that we finally got to pull it off. Coleman, I know you're so busy, brother, but it meant everything. I got so much love for you, man. Here it is. Coleman Domingo, welcome to An Act of Despairs. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. What am I going to despair about today? Oh, man, it's not much because it means so much to me from the bottom of my heart having you on the show. It's like you're literally history books, when it's going to be written, it's going to be you, man. Like everything that you've been able to do in your career, it's just so multifaceted dancing, singing, acting, like everything that you've done with your career. It's, it's the, the thing about acting as an actor myself is that I love being able to see performers excel and justice prevail so I can steal. And I, I've just watched you for so long now and, And especially uh, I'm coming up on Five Years Sober, your character in Euphoria, particularly the episode that came out, I believe it was December, yours. um, It just it it hit me in such an existential and iconic and just profound manner, man. Some of the finest work I've ever seen in my life.
1: Thank you so much, man. That meant the world to me. And it was for and first of all, thank you for sharing that with me, because I think it was the intention with uh, with Ali in that special episode was just that. It was to reach people who I knew it truly mattered to. It was less of a performative nature. Yeah. And so it was about lending what you had to tell these simple, heartfelt, complex stories about people who suffer from the uh, disease of addiction. Yeah. So thank you.
0: And, and that's the remarkable thing about addiction is that I think... So the, I think the remarkable thing about addiction is so many of those lines in there—they're my own thoughts that I thought were so unique <clears throat> and special to me. But it's what the universality of of this whole thing is, and you know, even moving back, you know, passing strange, like just the work you do. Yeah, you're you're, you're a hell of a good-looking guy, but uh, you're, you're a true character actor in the best sense of the term. I mean, there's. There's nothing you can't handle. And the recurring <laughs> theme on my podcast is the separation between good acting and great acting. And you are one of the most outstanding actors in the world. And I want you to know how much it means to me for you coming on and giving me some of your day to just talk and give back, brother. Oh, Ryan, thank you, brother. That means the world to me. Thank you, thank you. Uh, if it's cool with you though, uh, can we start at the beginning? You grew up in Philly, right?
1: I grew up in Philly, West Philly, born and raised, man. Went to high school with Will Smith, went to Overbrook High School, went to Temple University, studied journalism, and then took my first acting class there. And um, and then somehow now, it's 30 years later, and I've been doing, <laughs> doing that.
0: <laughs> well, you look 21 to me, brother. So that's Thanks. amazing. Um, I'm curious, you know, were, were your parents artists at all? They were not
1: artists. I do believe that my mom was a suppressed artist in a way. I think that I didn't grow up with a, a family that believed not that we didn't believe but it wasn't something you you went to college and all that for to become an artist. Yeah. It was ingrained in my family that you you got a good education, hopefully you got a good job with some benefits, and you make a life for yourself. Yeah. Being an artist was something a bit more gray and like, you know, unattainable. You felt like other people People who could afford to be artists were artists. But yeah. so, but my mother, my mother is funny. I I started to notice my mother's gifts at the weirdest times. Like I remember my mother, um, my mother wrote poetry, and so she supported her children to be artists wow. because we're all natural artists. Like my sister is a, a beautiful poet, and my brother, my older brother, paints. But although he doesn't paint anymore, but he he was an excellent painter wow. and he drew beautiful with charcoals and my younger brother is does work as a music producer so we've all we're all artists that's amazing yeah i realized we got it from my mother because it wasn't until i went this oddest thing i went to a funeral and my mother got up to get speak some words and suddenly this woman who was always kind of you know she's sweet and very much a lady and and lovely she got up on that stage and she was so commanding and it was as if she was a as if she was Marion Seldes or, yeah. or Zoe Caldwell. She was like an actress yeah. and she had such a handle of language and, and, and command. I just thought, Whoa, my mother's powerful. Yeah. But it was something that she, you know, my mother worked at a bank and things like that. But I think she inspired her kids to be artists.
0: That's so beautiful. And, and I'm curious, you know, in, in middle school or high school, the, the drama program, was that something at all that you were interested in or, you know? Well,
1: <laughs> you know, no, not really, because I was very shy. I, I didn't think that I was, I was, I had a lisp. I had pimply skin, buck teeth, super skinny. I was not a cool kid. I was in, Me I too. was,
0: in, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. I was
1: like, I guess I was a nerd, but I was also just like an introvert and on the school newspaper, I look at pictures of myself in high school and I was like that poor kid. Yeah. And that guy, that just, that guy just wanted to get out of that situation and go to, because everyone was, you know, I grew up in West Philly, where I think people are just kind of naturally bold in their expressions. And I was just, I watched people. Yeah. And so um, I went to, I wasn't even invited to the, it sounds like such a sad sack as I talk about it, but I wasn't invited to the parties or anything like that. I was not a cool kid, but um, but I stayed in the library and I, and I created and I would go and make film strips in the library and and stay at home and be around my family. And then it wasn't until I got to college where I knew I wanted, I knew that there was some, another person sort of inside of me
0: yeah. wanting
1: to get out. The, the person at home that, you know, I think I grew up with very funny people like my my brother and my sister, my older brother and sister are fucking hilarious. Yeah. And they know how to tell a story. And I thought I learned from them, but they were the funny ones. They were the ones with personality, yeah. but I wanted to be more like them. So I took an acting class as an elective. Um, Actually, my mother said, why don't you take something that makes you feel free? And I took an acting class and that's where- At Temple? My my teacher at Temple University. And that's where my teacher, Chris, my acting 101 class, he he asked me, he said, "Uh, have you thought about acting as a profession? And I said, no. He said, I think you have a talent. And it was the first time, well, he actually didn't say I had a talent. He said, I had a gift. He said, I think you have a gift in this field he said i'd be very curious if you uh if you just uh, investigated that wow. and I, I and he set my wheels turning and i started taking classes um and acting at the walnut street theater school in philadelphia quietly i didn't tell anybody about it because i didn't want anybody it sounded like such a far-fetched dream to be an yeah. actor yeah so um i sort of kept that private and i would just take some classes off
0: while That's i was true. matriculating
1: full-time at temple
0: yeah that's so beautiful. But it sounds like before you even got there, you kind of did have a relationship to art and and being interested in it. You know, not only with your mother, I, but you said you were doing film strips and, you know, like. Yeah,
1: I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I spent all my time in the library, man. So basically at the library, you know, they had all these programs for kids. Yeah. And I was the one who ate that stuff up. I would go and listen to the library and read stories. And then they were like, oh, we're going to make these mini film strips. I was like, what is that? Anything creative but also because I grew up in the inner city and not that I grew up in a, like a truly rough neighborhood. It was just, you know, you know, guys getting, there would be some guys getting into some stuff that yeah. my, my mother, my mother loved the fact that she didn't have to worry about me because I was in the library after school. I was there doing my homework. I loved that it was quiet and all these books and I would I would just, Take all these books off the shelf about ancient Egypt or whatever, and then I eventually like I, I stayed in bookstores. Crazy enough, I stayed not only in the library, but then my first one of my first jobs was in Barnes and Noble Bookstore. I, no like, way, stayed, yeah, man. I, I stayed. <laughs> books were my friends, man. I was like yeah. a full nerd, they'll never you know, leave they you. Are, right? <laughs> and they know, never it's, even still, like, I like people come to my house in LA and they realize I don't have a television, but I have books everywhere. Wow. Just because <laughs> I feel like, oh, if I want to go somewhere, I'll just, I'll just open up a book.
0: Yeah, and then I'll escape. And I'm, I'm curious, once this, uh, you know, drama teacher and you kind of felt this impetus, what did that look like for you at Temple? Was that as far as going to changing your major? Was it to just, you no. know, doing more plays in the drama program? Like, what, what did that look like I, for you? I didn't
1: do any plays in the drama. Like, I did nothing at Temple University that had to do with drama except for that one class. I did everything off campus at Walnut Street Theater School and I matriculated as a journalism student at Temple University. So wow. that that was my major. So I stayed with that. And then when I left Temple University, I left Temple University actually about 30 credits shy. So basically a year, a year shy from graduating. Yeah. And I thought I can go back. My mother was like, you can always go back to school. And I moved to San Francisco actually. And yeah. that's where I thought I was away from my family. I was away from people who knew a version of me yeah. and I thought about reinventing myself to be very honest. And so I, I leaned into this thing that I thought I loved being in theater class and what that offered and I was curious about what this career could be. Yeah. And so um, I remember I took one class in San Francisco, but then I just started auditioning and then I started working. I started working with really little to no experience and I learned everything that I know even now, from doing from showing up to rehearsals that yeah. I wasn't even uh, called for because it was wow. all my conservatory. And, yeah. I, and I still do that. I love being on
0: set. Were work, you at ACT in, in San Fran or? In San Francisco, uh, in San Francisco, I, where I worked or, yeah, or, 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 or It's, what, what, it's ART,
1: right? Or. What, no, no, no. It's ACT. No, ACT. but I didn't take classes at ACT. I took okay. classes at like, I took classes. At, uh, it was at somebody's like in someone's like upstairs, theater space or something. It was not at any one formal conservatory. My conservatory was like rehearsals. By doing.
0: Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so curious, you know, because most actors think of, of acting as a binary New York or LA thing. Obviously now that's changed with Atlanta and other markets, but what, what was it to you about San Francisco that was like so intriguing to you? Well, I moved to San Francisco
1: initially just because, my best friend guy said, oh, it's amazing out here. You you need to come out here. I think you would really like it. It's cool, good people, all that. And so I was in this very precarious place of like, you know, my parents just moved to Virginia and I was still in Philadelphia And night. And I thought I want to try it. And so I moved to San Francisco. It wasn't even about being an actor. It was just like, just trying, it was just going to Life life experience. Totally. Dude, that's it. So I lived with three other guys in a studio apartment and the Tenderloin District
0: of San Francisco. Oh, my God. The, yeah.
1: So <laughs> yeah. it was just like doubled down. It was like, okay, that's what you do when you're 21 years old. Yeah. And so uh, I moved there and I, I took another, I took an acting class. I told you again, I felt like I was in the, I feel like it was like <laughs> in someone's empty space in, in you know, some on top of some Victorian or something. Wow. And I got a job and I started to pursue this and I started to like figure out. How to get an agent, how to get work, looking in the trades, backstage, magazine, you name it, and figuring it out, getting a headshot. What is that? I remember I met with a coach, this woman. She was fabulous. I'll never forget that. She looked like she was like, in my my imagination, she's wearing Chanel earrings and her hair is perfect. And she's telling me about the, it it was something in the back of the trades about people who wanted to learn the business of the business. Yeah. And so I remember I took a class with her and I said, yeah, I'm curious about this, about headshots and finding work and all that stuff. And I remember we I sat with her and we put together a resume filled with lies. It was... <laughs> it
0: was <laughs> As we all do, dude. <laughs> but
1: she, but she, said, she said, she said, you need a resume to get started. And I said, "What? Well, what's your experience? I said, well, I don't have any experience. I have, um, I took, I did some scene study. And so she looked at, she says, well, we're gonna bend the truth a little bit. I said, in what way? She said, what uh, play did you do in scene study? And well, I did this. Let's say I said, the Hot L Baltimore or something. Yeah. Great. And where did you do that? I said, at Temple University. She says, great. Hot L. Baltimore. The character name, Temple University Theater. I was like, Someone <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> So-and-so, so-and-so. Walnut Street Theater School. Wal- Walnut yeah. Street Theater Company. And she says, you need, you need to give yourself a little push to get in the door. Yeah. And then your talent will do the rest. She yeah. said, your talent will, will not question your resume. That's and so I was like, I, n- I never forget that. So I did that. Basically, I went out and I lied for my first auditions. And then at some point, I could take those things off because that started to work. Yeah. And um, But I would do things like this. I, Ryan, I would do things like, I would go home. I remember my first rehearsal. It was for uh, a play called The Inner Circle. And it was with the San Francisco, what's it called? It was called the New Conservatory Theater in San
0: Francisco. Oh, okay,
1: and it was a touring play uh, for Theater for Young Audiences. And I was a young kid um, who became HIV positive and dealing with it with his, um, I guess, high school classmates. Yeah. So I was a very raw actor. Like when it comes to crying, emoting, whatever, I had it, I had it all. I just in spades. I had it all. But the thing that I didn't have was any technique at all. So I would go home, like I would look in my first rehearsal, I get cast as the lead in this play wow. and um, my director, Louie Jenkins, a British woman named Louie, she says, okay, well, we're going to, well, what I'd like to do is just lightly block the show and then we'll go back and do more deeper work. I was like, I don't, in my mind, I just stay quiet and smile. Yeah. I didn't know what blocking was. Yeah. So I would go home and read. I would read books by Uta Hagen. I would read An Actress Prepare, An actor yeah. Prepares. I will read Stanislavski. I'm, everything I would just go home and read. Yeah. And so I figured, I'm like, oh. And then I would look at what my, what the other dude was doing. He kept writing things like Joey, Joey Ponce. He kept writing SL with an arrow or C, oh, circling it. yeah. DS with an arrow. I was like, what's he doing working up the script? And I would look at that. And then they would say, okay, Coleman, walk downstage. And I would start to head upstate
0: yeah it's tell the, me, no, go, the, the <laughs> other way. and yeah.
1: started, so i started to figure it all out it was like i was learning a new language it was like i was being thrown into into um uh the middle of france yeah. and i don't speak french but i had to learn so that's what it was like so i was like oh i need to figure this out and look around and so my i believe that my 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 sensory elements were even more heightened because i was like you know a fish out of water trying to figure out how to swim
0: you know and, and that was thrilling for you because a lot of people, when they have to yeah. deal with that kind of, they just, they just can't deal and they have to give up. Oh, that's I thrive.
1: Incredible. I thrive.
0: Uh, My whole career is
1: about that. like that. I thrive with the challenge. Anything yeah. I don't know, I, I'm drawn to it. Yeah. You know, I don't, if I know it, I feel like jobs, jobs already done. Yeah. But this was like, I felt like all I, that, maybe that's the thing that I love about this career, to be honest. I love the learning aspect of it, that you never, you're never finished.
0: Yeah, you're never yeah.
1: you're never done with this, you know. Yeah,
0: that's so beautiful. And and I I spoke to a few Bay Area actors, you know, as I spent the past five days prepping for this because I just it meant so much to me. And I hear there's not many roles you didn't do there, and and you really spent a lot of time there. You know, I I because of time, there's so much I want to get to. If if you could just summarize, you know, do you feel like San Francisco perhaps is is where you found your voice?
1: It absolutely is. That's where I found my voice as a, not only an actor, but a writer, director, a producer. It allowed me and afforded me the space to do it all. Yeah, uh, I think because I think the Bay area, especially at the time, that was the nineties. And uh, I left, I was there from 91 to 2001. And what I really gained from my time there was I felt like I could do anything. Yeah. And I really could, I could create a theater company and get partnerships with um, other major region, major theaters. I had a lot of energy and enthusiasm, yeah. and um, and they really responded to that. And I really feel like the Bay. I owe the Bay Area um, a lot because I do feel like a Bay Area actor who's still in my heart and soul. Totally. Know?
0: And I'm I'm curious then in, in 2001, you know, where do you find yourself mentally and career wise? What was interesting to you? Was it, uh, you know, a, a down move to L.A. or was it a cross country move to New York?
1: It was, it was to New York because I started maybe I would say eight years in, I started to think every time I open up a script, there is a company that did it first and then another company Yeah. and then the I original productions were there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then I do the third or fourth production of it. I want it to be in the room creating it. Yeah. I want to be in, in the opening fold. Yeah. And I knew that that would have been in New York. I feel like all the artists that I was inspired by, I love the people in the Bay area. Yes. But I was always getting a lot of um artists from New York as well who came to me New- To the Bay Area to play with play with us and work in our
0: sandbox, and they workshop things there, right? Oh yeah, they workshop
1: things in New York, and then they would in in San Francisco. They would take it to New York, and so I I also was working. When I tell you I worked a lot in the Bay Area, I was that actor that was working public. I probably did at least seven productions a year on all the stages, from Berkeley Rep to the Mime, you know, to um, I I taught at the Mime Troop, but you know, from Berkeley Rep to California Shakespeare Festival, you name it. And I started to get a little hungry, to be honest. I felt that I was actually getting soft because I could work. I can I play leading roles. I play cl- all the classical roles. I played many clowns that I wanted to play in Shakespeare. Yeah. I was in the circus, you name it. And I was like, okay, what's next? And I, you were I, I equity, right? Yeah, exactly. I yeah. was an equity actor. Yeah. I, I did everything that an actor could do and, and push themselves to do. I think, and it was time to, I think, jump into another sandbox. Yeah, it was time to sort of like say, I did that. Now I can rest on that and work for the rest of my life here. Yeah, or I can transform and do something else. Go to the scarier place, which is starting off at zero again. Yeah, you know, which is what I, I did in two thousand
0: one. I, I I totally relate. So talk to me. Uh, you know, moving to. You know, post 9-11 New York, you know, it's a very fraught time in not only yeah. American history, but particularly in New York. You know, when you moved here, circumstantially, what what was your steps to, you know, find yourself in the theater scene? Did you already have an agent yet that was no, here? Wow. I didn't have an agent or
1: anything. I didn't have an agent. All I had was a really good resume. I worked with some incredible people in the Bay Area, and I had... um. There's something on the inside, but I believe that New York was the place for me. By the way, I remember I, I when I was thinking of moving to New York, a couple things happened, and I got to tell you this because I think it's Please. interesting. One is I was walking down in the Village, and um one of those palm readers was waving to me to come in, and I was like, "I'm all, I'm I'm like such a I, I, I'm always drawn to them, and they me always me too, man. <laughs> yeah, right. You, yeah, just so always, open, right? <laughs> yeah. And so." This woman pulls me in. She says, "I've got something to tell you. Something you need to know." I was like, "Oh, what?" So of course, I paid her whatever the money was—ten dollars, or something—and said, "What do you see for me?" Um, she says, "What's on your what? Get what's a question that you have?" I said, "I'm thinking of leaving the Bay Area." I, no, I didn't say the Bay Area. I said, I, "I think I'm in the mood for a transition." Yeah, I want to change where I live. Now, I didn't tell her because I was very specific. I didn't tell her New York. Or where I from or anything.
0: Yeah.
1: And she says, and she looked at my palm and she says, you, you need to be here. People are waiting for you to be here. Wow. So you can't let them down. And so I was like, oh, wow. So that it stayed with me. I was like, people are waiting for me. I can't let them down. Yeah. So what an amazing thing to hear! Yeah. So I kept that in my mind, and then everything that I was doing as, I, as I, I was expanding as a director in the Bay Area, and I got a chance to be a part of the Lincoln Center Directors Lab. Yeah, and I think that's in 1999. And I came out here, like really, I was—I think I was doing a show at Cal Shakes. I, I had right before, in the middle of rehearsal, I had to come out for four days. It was—it was a crazy situation where I was balancing everything, but I knew I needed to do it because it was a prestigious thing. So I fly out to New York put myself up to the Lincoln Center director's Directors lab. And I had, I can afford to go to one show. And I was like, what do I want to see? I was like, "Um, I'm going to see a doll's house with uh, Jeanette McTeer. No way. And so I go to the Belasco, so I go to the Belasco theater and I see it and I see a doll's house. very serendipitous,
0: uh, right? That's where public strange or or passing strange was, yeah.
1: That's exactly what I was going to tell you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) See, I researched you.
1: (laughs) You you did. I have a mezzanine seat and I'm sitting there and I'm getting chills thinking about this again. I sat there and I watched Janet McTeer on that stage in that production and I sat there and at, at the end, everyone left and I was just shaking and I thought, I've got to come to New York and I want to be on that stage.
0: Yeah.
1: So I don't know if and I truly do believe what you put into the universe, what you put articulate, has to. It is resonating. It is coming back to you. Because when I realized many years later that I made my Broadway debut in *Passing Strange* at the Belasco Theater, yeah. I thought that was um, it was so serendipitous that it, yeah. you know I did a, I did a show called *Well*, but I understudied that, so I was considered my my Broadway debut in *Passing Strange* at the Belasco Theater, the same Theater, where I said clearly when I saw Dallas house, I want to be on that stage. I want to move here. And
0: that's pretty amazing. Wild. Did you yeah. do the, uh, like the Huckleberry Finn, just you stayed and didn't go back and get your stuff or did you go back to San Fran? I went then- back.
1: I went back cause I had to take care of a relationship that had to end, I had to transition and I had to just figure out my course. And my course was this, the universe spoke up and said, Hey, a production I did at Shakespeare Santa Cruz yeah. called Taming of the Shrew that I did with Tim Osell. Hey, they want to do it at Jeeva Theater, which is in Rochester, New York. And I thought, wow, well, here's an opportunity to get to New York because that will, because you know what, as a regional theater actor, you yeah. know how much weight you can send along. I think it's like totally. 600 pounds of something. So I was like, I can move my belongings to Rochester, New York, and then they have to pay for it to move it to wherever the hell I go. So I go to Rochester to do Taming of the Shrew. And on my days off, I go down to New York to look for an apartment. I look for, this is a crazy story. I go look for, I go to get on Craigslist and I'm looking for an apartment. I find one. It's actually with this guy, Jim Butts. Now Jim Butts, I had no idea. This guy worked with my director at uh, Tim O'Sell before. Oh my He's also, God! He was a wonderful, wonderful young actor named Jim Butts, who actually happens to be Norbert Leo Butts' his younger brother. Yeah. The famed Tony Award-winning Nor- Norbert Leo Butts. So we became roommates. Crazy enough, one of my best friends comes to New York, and and my best friend still to this day, Ariel Shafir. He uh, moves to New York. I don't know. I'm like, where are you staying? He said, like, I'm gonna, I'm getting. Oh, I just found an apartment. I'm moving with this dude. It's at 3122, 32nd Street. I said, what? Where? 3122. I said, I live at 3119 32nd Street. Oh he was like, get God. out of here. So again, the universe was like, I need my bro literally yeah. next door to me. Totally.
0: So, so this, <laughs> so, this is divine intervention at this point, you know. I think all
1: of it is divine, man. That's the yeah. thing that I believe. I believe in magic. I believe in divinity. I believe that things are divine and laid out. You just have to really know that it's there for you. I do yeah. believe that. So, I moved to New York. Had my buddy um, Ariel next door to me, and I just really just tried. I really, like, you know, to be honest, like I, I really just, um, I put that out there. I moved to New York. Things were not easy, of course. You know, I got a, had a bar, got a bartending job. I was hustling. I didn't have an agent. I was sending things out cold, you know, getting the labels, yep, man, and putting them on envelopes and sending that out there. But then one of my good friends, this is after about a good year, one of my good friends um, recommended me to an agent. And I went in there. I knew it was my, my chance to, like, just show all that I had. And I remember I did um, Mercutio from Romeo oh, and Juliet.
0: God, I would pay mm-hmm. every... Penny, I have to see you do Mercury Show, oh, man. man. Yeah. <laughs> I did
1: that. But I did the thing that I, I guess that I do that I know that I, I know Did you that do I, Queen Mab? I did the Queen Mab
0: speech. Yeah. Oh, man. Beautiful.
1: But let me tell you, man, the thing that I know about myself, if I don't know anything else, I know that no one will do the work as I do because I'm that actor who goes into an audition room and I don't treat it like it's an audition. I treat it as if it's- I use whatever's in the room. I use the window. I use the chair. But I don't set it up. I know that I know the text. I know that I know my actions. Mm -hmm. But then I use what's available. And that's what I love to do. So I know that um, Teresa Wolf, who was with Wolf, um, she was with another agency before, but she now has her own called Wolf Talent Group. She's the one who saw me for what I did and what I could be. She was the first one in New York. And she... She said, she said I blew her away and she knew that I had the goods uh, to make a good career for myself. And together I believe that we just, we went in shoulder to shoulder to move some mountains. And I started to work little by little and work at for the, my first maybe couple of productions for some reason. I was always in a pair of Speedos or my underwear. So.
0: <laughs> you got a great body, brother. <laughs> you know,
1: especially back then. I didn't realize, yeah. I look back now, I'm like, oh, I guess I had a nice body. I didn't realize it because I've, I've never been that dude to like think about my body or anything like that. But I was like, I was constantly in a show at Manhattan Class Company called Bright Ideas. And suddenly yeah. I'm in a Speedo. And then I would do the New York, New York Shakespeare Festival with Lee F Schreiber. Next thing you know, I'm in a Speedo. And my, <laughs> <laughs> my agent's like, what is this? Like, I have no idea. But, yeah. you know, I guess, I guess, I believe maybe, at, especially at a young age, I had the whole package. I was a a wily, character actor. No pun intended. No, no pun intended. But I was also willing and open, yeah. and and I guess there there's some attention paid to that. I guess.
0: Well, talk to me, you know, because I, I don't want to gloss oh. over it. Uh, can you hear me? Coleman, can you hear me? Back
1: there you go, you're back. Oh, cool. You're back.
0: Yeah, yeah I, you're back. I know you had time, space around the fire and true crime. Did, were those San Francisco things that you got? They were San Francisco. That, so you uh, already yeah, they, had those film credits.
1: Yeah. I, wow. any of those film credits that shot anything that was happening in the, in San Francisco? I have a book. It. Wow. So you, man, you, I
0: mean, that true crimes. Clint Eastwood, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
1: work with Clint Eastwood, and wildly enough, Francis Fisher, who I eventually directed just a few years ago in barbecue at the Geffen Playhouse. I thought, isn't it interesting the way the world turns around? Yeah. Where now I'm I'm her director. And it was pretty awesome. I was like, so we, we love that we we began with I was basically her assistant in um in True Crime.
0: Yeah. And that's Clint. amazing. So then when you get here and you're doing those, you know, Shakespeare with Liev and things like that, you know, at this point are you is it a equal balance of theater auditions? With film and TV, you know what? Cause it's I, mostly, it's
1: mostly theater. It's mostly theater. And then what television that was, now we, we have to go back to remember. It was like, Law and Order,
0: right? That was about it. Yeah, it was right? Law and
1: Order. There were some other things, but Oz, you never- maybe, you know? Yeah, but the funny thing is I was never considered for Oz or The Wire or anything like that. Now, honestly, really? I can tell you, I can tell you and be very candid about it. I think that they didn't think that I was that type of urban actor. In some way, to be very honest, I was like, "Why am I never getting auditions for this?" I think the casting directors had an idea of me, and I thought they thought that whatever it is that I give off, yeah, um, whatever it is. And I was just saying, the the industry believes that they're like, "Oh, he doesn't feel authentically from the streets of the inner city." I'm like, "But I'm from the inner city. This is what the inner city sounds like, looks like, moves like." But it wasn't in their
0: stock. And the show oh, even takes place in Philly at some time, So that's just so fraudulent. <laughs> I was,
1: I have, when I tell you, zero auditions for those. Zero. Oh, that kills Isn't me. a wild? Yeah. Because also, because think about this. As an African-American guy in this industry, I think they want you to walk in the room and be that character. They want you yeah. to be a thug. They want to know that they would rather cast... They would honestly. I know they would because I would go into if I would go into some of these auditions, not The Wire or Oz, but I would go into these other auditions where I'm like, oh, that dude looked like he just actually came out, yeah. or oh, that dude looked like you know, <laughs> the, the, he wasn't a he wasn't someone who could act it like me. But he was somebody who was it. You
0: know yeah, I mean? the only person I feel like that got through would be like Michael Potts, you know, Absolutely. like yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Which you would have been amazing as that, my buddy yeah. Michael. But yeah. but so then talk to me, you know, because development of plays for, you know, the people that are listening that are maybe more marginally interested in entertainment and musicals. It can be years and years. So at what point did Passing Strange start to become an idea that you became associated with? Was that, you know, it, it
1: was after I guess they went through the Sundance program and when they would when I came on board, they were um, auditioning for. The Berkeley rep slash uh public theater co-production. And that okay. was it. That's all it was. Berkeley rep public theater. There was no Broadway in the, in the mind of it. Yeah. So I auditioned for it. It was actually the, the play that I auditioned for, like um during the time I lost my mother.
0: Oh, I'm and so sorry for your loss, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah.
1: And it was um, this is something I guess I feel like actors should know. It's like, imagine you, you get an audition on July 24th. And it goes very well. And your mother dies on July twenty-fifth. Yeah. And then you get a call on July twenty-sixth and you tell the your agent that I cannot come to the call back because I lost my mother. Yeah. But if they if they could wait, I gladly come back and audition. Yeah. They held the auditions for me for two weeks. Wow. And I went in there and I, I consciously was trying to go in there and just say, you know, I didn't want anybody to feel sorry for me or anything like that. I just wanted yeah. to go in and do my job. And, uh, but it was all over me. And I, I performed in a unique new way, because I think once you, once anyone experiences the loss of a parent, you will know that you're forever changed yeah. and whatever, whatever you are as an artist does change. It has to, your whole being changes. So I went in as a whole other being and, um, I booked the job and it took me to Berkeley rep and that's where I did a lot of my healing. And which is wild because I went back to the Bay Area. That's yeah. where that's where my my creative home was. So I felt like it was a blessing from the universe to go back there, do this play, which is about a guy. Who loses his mother
0: yeah <laughs> yes. oh yeah <laughs> and and you have that beautiful line you know i love so much that yeah i think summarizes the life of an artist you know we're all just freaks looking for a home you know that's and exactly
1: it that's yeah. exactly it, man. Yeah, yeah man yeah so so I, I i go there and i come back and we do it at berkeley rep and i mean at berkeley rep and then the public and then it moves to broadway and that was and that changed my life
0: you're so incredible in that. I mean, I remember well, Yeah, I didn't get to see it live, but I remember watching Spike's version and and just seeing you sweat. It was like, yeah, almost like, <laughs> d- don't freak out. For, but it was just like, God, if I could drink that energy, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, God, you're amazing in that, man. Send like, you some sweat sometimes. Yeah, again. please do, brother. <laughs> it's, uh, we'll do an N for T, you know. <laughs> but, uh, man, yeah, I mean, just stamina wise, talk to me about, you know, for those also listening, you know, Broadway's eight shows a week. How do you dude, show up and give that? I mean, dude, well,
1: with, with show, I've always been in shows like <laughs> for some reason, I'm always sweating in a show on Broadway. Yeah. I've never had that role where I come and sit in a chair. I'm just um, I did Pass Me Strange. I played Billy Flynn in Chicago and the Scottsville Boys as well. And each time I think it, it's just pure discipline. man. I think yeah. you people who un- need to who understand that Broadway is like uh, a marathon. You have to take care of your body in a different way, uh, measure your sleep, your sleep patterns, what you do in the daytime, who you associate with. It really is. You go into uh, full training. And yeah. that's what I did, especially for like Passing Strange. Yeah, I, I even look back when I, I saw it maybe last year and I hadn't seen that production in a while. And for our listeners um, and watchers, uh, it's I believe it's on Amazon Prime, Yeah, Passing Strange. And people will say that I'm really maybe 160 pounds and I'm a tall lean guy i weigh 190 now so i was a 30 pound difference then because you do you it's like marathon you're in your i'm in my fighting weight man i was lean and i could move and dance and sing and do vocal gymnastics with different characters and that's what you that's what you must do and that's what i did in the Scottsboro boys as well played five different characters and um and had to change my body and my mind and i i every every like i was swear it was like every week i was going to the wardrobe and like, Oh my God, what's going on with my pants? I need them taken in again. And so we, I constantly went down like three or four pant
0: sizes. Wow. And uh, burning yeah, so calories, you burn, you burn yeah. everything
1: off, man. It's the best diet in the world, probably. And um, yeah, man, I think it just requires a lot of discipline. And I love that discipline. Although, you know, you, you have to get your mind. Um, who knows when I'll be back on stage, but I know for sure that it takes a lot of, um, I don't. Know, you have to think about the kind of discipline and the rigor yeah. that it takes. It, it is truly rigorous.
0: Yeah. And and uh, you know, before we jump into the movie *Passing Strange*, I, I would love to talk to you about *A Boy in His Soul*. You know, at the yeah. vineyard, you know, was writing something that was always kind of building up for you. Was that was that something that was born out of everything that was going on with your mother and moving? Yeah. You know, what what was the what was the catalyst for that?
1: Dude, the catalyst was I was I've always whenever I teach, I always tell students that no one can tell you not to create.
0: Yeah.
1: Cause that's something that I've always believed that no matter what I do, whenever I'm doing it, if I'm bartending and I have, I remember I had like the bar would empty out between one and four o'clock in the morning. So what would I do? Would I just sit there and hang? No. Right. I create something and I create something for myself. Cause I always yeah. thought that, it's nice to have something for yourself while you're out there trying to audition and
0: not waiting for someone to me. say yes to you. No, over, yeah, yeah,
1: You got yes, to say yes to yourself first. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. I, I invested in myself and I started telling the story. And then I realized it was a solo show. And then I, I would keep betting on myself, to be honest. I would, I would get it produced myself and do put it up at Joe's pub for a night and invite yeah. people in and pay, you know, use my bartending money and give my pay, pay, Production, etc., yeah. and then, you know, and I would always invite people too. I would invite artistic directors, etc., yeah. etc., and that's how that's how it came about, man. It was like, and it wasn't. It was a long period of time. I always tell people, I'm like, none of this stuff is easy, pr- producing or betting on yourself. Yeah. I think it possibly took because my first production of it was in 2004 in San Francisco because I would always go back there and workshop things. So I believe I workshopped it in 2000, early 2004, came back and did it in the summer, and then it had its I did a one night only at Joe's Pub. I think the end of 2005 or something, and then uh, the Vineyard Theater saw it and they wanted to do it. And I believe we did that in what 2008 or something. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was about five years, and then um, and then from there, you know, other it played the Tricycle in London and and the Brisbane Powerhouse in Australia. It's like you know, but but again, that starts by saying it was something. It was a story that I felt like I had to tell. To be honest. I wanted to tell a love story about where I came from and the music and the people. Because I thought if I told a love story about where I came from and my experiences, it can help somebody else Yeah. if they're going through the same thing. So it was never an an experiment of like, oh, I think my life is so interesting and the people are so fantastic. It was more like, let me be in service to storytelling by telling my story so you can tell your story. And then from there I started, I realized I had something to say as a playwright um, even more so, and I started experimenting with other plays, and then came wild with Happy that was at the Public Theater, or Dot that was at the Vineyard, and yeah. And then, so each each time, to be honest, it's an experiment, and it's something that I feel like I have to do. So. I write kind of infrequently. I, I when I have the question, when I have that burning question and desire, that's when I start to write it. Yeah. But I'm wait, I'm usually waiting for it.
0: I'm not trying to force it, you know? Yeah, yeah, you, you can, I don't think. You know, it's yeah. it, it's been tough for me being sober. It's like I can't, you know, drink and force it. I gotta when it's there, it's there. And when it's not, it's not. When and the news is
1: there, man. Yeah, right. yeah,
0: yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, obviously it's so hard to translate theater as a medium into film, but if anyone can do it, it's Spike Lee. So mm-hmm. when that happens and that gets into Sundance, you know, there's so many amazing people, you know, this is when Sundance was still really celebrating great mm-hmm. independent cinema. Did that really kind of reinvigorate, you know, getting casting directors from big studios and starting to get to see you for, for really big projects?
1: I guess, but let me tell you something though, which is gonna sound weird. I've never sort of, I remember my mother, and I keep bringing up my mom, because my mother always had, I think, bigger dreams than I had for myself. Yeah. I just wanted to be a respected actor. I just wanted to work, make a living, that's it. I didn't actually anticipate being on Broadway or having this film career or television career that I have. I had no idea. I Really, it's always one foot in front of the other. I was like, I just want to be a respected actor. I want to be in rooms where I feel respected. I want to do some really cool work and interesting work and be in service to the work. That's it. Yeah. So the, the, the people who like, even my students, when I, when I teach, they're like, I want to be on Broadway. I want to do, I want to have a serious regular. I never thought about shit like that. Yeah. I never thought about being a serious regular. I was just like, I want to yeah. work. Yeah. I want to work. Yeah. I want to, I want to work and whatever that looks like. And so I think because I've been in service to the work, that's what's happened. So anything that's been a byproduct of like, um, a production, a film, casting directors' eyes on me, directors' eyes. I always thought it because of the work. I feel like a lot of the relationships that I I have now still is because of my service to the work. I remember like people like any Broadway show that I did, like Passing Strange or or uh, Scottsboro Boys. I remember Lee Daniels came and saw Scottsboro Boys like seven times. Wow! And each time we would talk after he would bring. He bought David a yellowo after, and that's where we, he and I first met.
0: And that's where the butler started kind of being. I think so. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's all all born from being in service to the work and then like trusting that maybe that's it. I just trust that the universe will take care of itself, but it will take care of everything in some way. All I have to know is that it's about the work. It's about that commitment. It's about um, being passionate about what I do and, and people will see it. I think, you know?
0: Yeah. And and doing things like the Butler and Selma and Beale Street, you know, would talk to me about you know just these seminal historical moments for for, mm. for you know black culture and and for the world, you know, and and for you know moving just society along to where it needed to get to and these freedom riders and these incredible people that sacrificed everything to do it. You know, I imagine it, it, it. it's amazing to get to tell that narrative, but it's, it's gotta be a little bit haunting in some ways too, to relive those traumas that are still, you know, I mean, if there's anything sadly 2020 and 2021 has taught us is are still very fucking sadly real for some, some yeah, Americans. Yeah. You're so right.
1: And I think it's, um, It's wild to me that I I do know and I can look at my career and my career is unlike anyone else's, especially when it comes to- Because you're the best! (laughs) Oh man, (laughs) thanks man, thank you. It's (laughs) it's something about being a part of these incredible historic uh, experiences on stage and in film and in television, I believe. I feel like at the core, my friend, How can I say it? It goes back to being in service to the work. Yeah. It's like, I feel like the things that I do best is when I feel like I'm in service to something bigger than myself. Totally. Where I feel like, oh yeah, this episode of Euphoria, it's not being having a showy showcase, look at me, just turn it out. It's about like, I'm in service to making the world a better place. Yeah.
0: By and, doing and this. Helping addicts like me that are fighting, you know, against relapsing during uh, the dude, pandemic, you know? That, but with, dude, tell me,
1: brother, because that's what the things that I remember I sat and I just burst into tears, to be honest, when some brother reached out to me on Twitter and said, thank you so much, man. It felt like when you reached your hand over to Rue, I felt like you are reaching your hand out to me and telling me, I yeah, feel filth in me. The, and I it, and I it decimated me because I'm like, that's what I feel like at the core of anything. Like you seeing Selma or the butler, you name it at, at my core, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's about connect connecting all of us and being in service to these people and these incredible humans with these complex lives and saying that we're all alike in some way or we all need each other. So yeah. that's why I think that I'm drawn to this work and the work sort of calls on me. I, I, I'm, one, I'm, I'm never sort of handed fluff, weird roles. I think people stay away from me for that stuff. They hand me things like The Butler or Selma or yeah. Birth of a Nation. You because know, you you're know
0: incredible I mean? and there's no one else Thank that you. can bring the truth to that the way that you do. You know, it's you, it, it, you're a master and, and I'm curious, you know, like before we dig into euphoria, talk to me, you know, about like taking on something like Fear the Walking Dead, which is Arguably, you know, I know you got Candyman coming up, but unlike anything you've ever done before, was that a was that something you had to think about taking, let alone just the, the long season commitment? Dude, yeah,
1: I was offered on the same day I was offered to do Baz Lerman's The Get Down. Oh, God. Yeah. And I was also offered to do Fear the Walking Dead. And I had to make a choice. I couldn't do both. And the Baz Lerman of it, that all seemed, I met with Boz, we walked around, saw the storyboards, everything about it was like, this is awesome. I love yeah. his mind as a storyteller. It's shot in New York and I thought that made sense. That was when I lived in New York. But then there was this other thing, Fear the Walking Dead, that I was—I had no idea about the genre, about the fan base of The Walking Dead. I didn't know anything. All I knew was what was on the page, which was an incredible character that I hadn't read before television. Yeah. And I thought, he's complex and interesting and a con man and all that. I'm like, whoa, that's what a trick to play that. And so I went for the thing that scared me. I thought I could go to the thing that make, seems to make sense, but we can do this other thing. And then as I investigated this other thing, Fear the Walking Dead and the whole Walking Dead franchise, I just realized it's really about people trying to become their better selves and fight this enemy together. It's about yeah. humanity, it's about who we are. It's yeah. really a holding up a mirror to society, especially at moments like the pandemic when you're like, oh, this is real. Where yeah. it, literally we're, it, real. Yeah, yeah, the realest <laughs> part is like, whoa. So we've been exploring what happens to people and who do they become yeah. when they're fighting this threat together. It's not about the threat, it's about the human beings. Yeah. That's what the show's about. And then so the moment the pandemic happened, I'm like, oh, Yes, that's exactly what this is. It yeah. wasn't about the, the 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 virus. It's about the people. Totally, the people can't come together together, totally. and, and that's exactly what it's about. So that's why I love I love being a part of this whole Walking Dead universe, and I've been able to direct episodes and keep growing as an artist. And talk to it. me
0: about that because you're the first mm. one of, of anyone on The Walking Dead to be able to direct an episode, yeah, you know? I mean, that's that's a coup, brother. I mean, they AMC, Thanks, and they gave you a development deal. And you know yeah, they man.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. What, what's been so great is like, you know me, it's like, again, I think I'm a builder at the end of the day. I like to build, whether it's worlds, I like to build relationships. And I think that that's what I've built with um, when when it comes to AMC. I know for sure um, Gail Ann Hurd, the legendary producer, I took her to see my production of Barbecue, I believe, at the Gap, And she looks at me at the very end of it, and she says, you should direct the television. I said, oh, thank you. Like what? She said, she's directing our show. I was like, okay, let's see. And um, she took that seriously and put my name forward to the producing director and the showrunners. And they were like, hey, would you like to direct Next season, I said, "Yeah, but I think my training needs to start now, though, because yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm just got that person who like feels like I got this. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to train for a whole year before yeah. I, I ever think about directing because I respect the work so much. So I started to watch every single director, but I, I, I had already been doing that. Yeah. So I'm always, a, I'm not that actor that's never just sitting." back at in his trailer
0: yeah
1: no yeah. I'm actually on set I'm talking to the lighting people and the grips and the gaffers and looking at this and looking at camera lenses and I'm like what is that what lens is that on so you know I'm learning because yeah. that's the way I came into this whole industry totally. so I'm like it's an opportunity to learn and so that's what made me the director that I am I started to I love directing and I feel like it's such a blessing to direct on my show because it's a big show with special effects and stunts and visual effects and yeah. character arts and story deep story so it's like I feel like I've been given the keys to the kingdom as a director,
0: you know? And you got to work and we spoke off air with my wonderful favorite, and and you said yours as well, Holly Curran. She's the best. Holly Curran. We
1: got to yeah. give some love to Holly. Holly is such a wonderful actor. Oh. And um, we had a great time together. We had some fun scenes together, too. And then at some point, you know, my character, as he does, Richard Strand, is a very yeah. conniving guy. He, you know, got it killed. Yeah. What else am I supposed to do?
0: Hey, you know, that's the, the things we have to do, you know, and, and then talk to me, you know, before we jump into euphoria and, and maybe end with, with Mal Rainey's, you know, obviously, you know, we're an incredible place, but we there's room for better with LGBTQ, you know, community and rights and representation. But when you've got something like Assassination Nation, that was ahead of its time, you know, that didn't... Dude, yes. Did talk to me about getting that. Did you know Sam? You know, nah, where did that man. relationship come together? I met
1: Sam in the basement of uh, of an after party uh, at Sundance when I was there for Birth of a Nation. Wow. And he and Jeremy O'Harris, who co-wrote Zola, were downstairs just chatting. So the three of us were just over in the corner just chatting it up for like, we, we became brothers that night, the three of us. Yeah. Truly just chatting it up. Again, I think I walk into him. I was like, I don't know. They seem cool. Let's talk. And yeah. so we started talking. I had nothing. You were talking about the film, you name it. And we talked for, like, I would say, like a good two hours. And that was it. We exchanged numbers. I was like, oh, I think Sam could be a new buddy. Yeah. We met up in New York. We met up for some lunch. Just a new brother. With, with That's it. I had no... We no had,
0: expectation I or... Zero. Yeah. Just yeah. I just thought,
1: what a fascinating mind. I just liked his mind and the way he talked about things. And then he wrote... Uh, the principal character for me in Assassination Nation. He was like, I'm going to send this to you. Would you want to do this with me? I was like, absolutely. And then he wrote Ali for me as well. And I was like, great, man. There are certain artists where you're like, they write to your strengths. They they know what you can do. And I just said, no one has written for me like Sam. No one's written that that episode of Ali and Rue and that that special episode, he knows exactly what I can do. And he knows, and he'll set the bar so high yeah, where even my own expectation of what I can do is challenged. And I think that's what I, I'm very grateful for, people like Sam. He saw what I could give just as a person.
0: Well, in, and then- in- The words were so good. I I have to ask in some ways, because like so much of your prior work came full circle and referenced with like, you know, the Civil Rights Act and and being in the cafe together and the the beauty of that. And, you know, I mean, was any of that like your lines or was that all written?
1: That was all Sam. Every single word. There was not one bit of ad-libbing at all. That was all Sam.
0: But you, you, you elevated it and you brought truth to it and, and you saved me in a lot of ways, man, because like, uh, uh, just cause I'm not, you know, drinking right now and, and, and s- snorting or shooting drugs right. doesn't mean I'm not an addict. And, you know, right. I, I've dealt with my own suicides and I, that, that, you know, it was a horrible winner for uh, not just me, but for a lot of people. And just like, you know, I'm not trying to steal what that guy said to you, but you saved me, man. I, I needed mm. that episode. I watched it maybe five times, you know? And, mm. and, and you know, Thanks, brother, man. I'm going I'm to call the Academy and make sure the Emmy's coming your way for that because <laughs> I haven't seen a performance that's beaten that yet, so... Thank you, brother. That, that means the world to me, man. That means the world. Thank yeah, you. It, it means the world to me for what you're doing, so you know, obviously please come back, but let's oh, well. talk, let's talk about, you know, Mal you know, like yeah, man. that's you An- know. another
1: gift, another gift that I was handed in, in my life. And Were you familiar uh, with the play? I was familiar with the play only because I saw it many years ago when Whoopi Goldberg did it and Charles S. Dutton on Broadway. And, um, and I saw my, one of my good friends do it at a production. At, I think it was at um, Rutgers.
0: Oh, no, it was in great Philadelphia. Was in, oh yeah, okay. exactly.
1: Or it was in Philadelphia, one of them. But he he was doing I was always seeing his work. So I saw that, and but I thought nothing of it for me. I thought like I didn't know where to find myself in there. Yeah. But then I was just minding my business and I got a call with an offer. It wasn't an audition, it was just an offer to play cutler. Wow. And that role in particular, I loved first more than anything that Denzel Washington and Todd Black and George C. Wolfe thought that this was the guy to help be a part of telling the story of Ma Rainey and in this incredible play of August Wilson's. And it felt like a tremendous responsibility. Yeah. Like that they were handing me a responsibility. Totally. And they knew I was up to the task because that's exactly what I want. Hand me a responsibility and watch me take care of it for you. So I think that that we just, I think we created something really special, man. I loved
0: working with Chadwick. and. Violate did you know Chadwick mind. and and Michael already at this I, point? I knew
1: I didn't. I knew of Michael's work. I knew of Glenn's work. Um, I had worked with Taylor Page, who plays Dusty May, yeah. just before we we did Zola. Before we did, oh Iranian. okay, awesome, yeah, yeah. So we met on Zola together. So we spent some couple months in Tampa, Florida, together, and then um, but Chadwick and I we knew each other from New York theater. Like we did a reading together, probably about. Fifteen years ago, wow! And, uh, and and then we and then we actually did um, the movie Forty Two together. Although yeah, my, my, although my scene was cut. Oh, I but, know! I, <laughs>
0: what a bummer! But, but, but
1: <laughs> it, it, it's some it's somewhere in someone's archives, and it'll come out when I'm old and gray or something. I'm sure yeah. that scene. But what it was, a, I was but we were dying to work together because we really loved the way we had
0: each other worked. And, and because it's a play and it, it's so, you know, it's written very specifically, did you guys rehearse it as a Yeah, as
1: we, a we rehearsed for two whole weeks. We had two wow. weeks of rehearsal, which is rare for any film. We, we had instructors teaching us our instruments, but uh, like George C. Wolf would say, he cast a group of overachievers. And yeah. so every, everyone went, we just went in every day. We came in, we did our work in rehearsal and then went home, ate our meal, and rehearsed them more by ourselves, yeah. you know, and came in ready, you know. Yeah. You, you were in the ring, you were in the ring with greats, so you wanted yeah. to be ready, you know.
0: I really think you deserved a nomination, man. I mean, you were hmm. cutler was was so good, man, and he was really Great. the one that kind of kept everyone at bay. And it, I, it was such an iconic performance. And you know, before I get to my two final questions, obviously you got to come back when they come out, but you have four insane projects coming up. You got Tom Clancy's the God committee. You know, Candyman and Northstar. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you're, you're. I don't know if they're all coming down 2021, but I mean, it it is Coleman's year, brother.
1: Oh (laughs) man, you know what's funny? But first of all, again, thank you so much for what you just said. I think good work can't be ignored after a while. I think you can. You just got to stay the course, stay in it, and and remind yourself why you're doing it. And I think that um, I do recognize that my work. Sometimes I think an industry will amplify one by diminishing another. Like it's yeah. almost like you can't see both in a way. C-
0: compare and despair, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: but but I know my worth, and I know what I did, and I know what I brought. Yeah. And so, listen, any any award or recognition that Ma Rainey gets, I feel like I won. Yeah. I feel like I'm a because I feel like I'm a part of it. Yeah. There's no way, and if, and I hope Michael and Glenn and any production person you name it also feels the same way because no one can do what they're doing on their own yeah totally. you know you 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 know for sure that whatever nomination or accolade they're getting or anyone's getting is because you were helped you were there to help yeah. that and be in service to it so that's that's my win too
0: that's amazing well you know two final questions you know sure. it's we've touched on it you know the pandemic has been tough for for everyone not just artists but you know artists we're really struggling, you know. The, especially actors, you know. All, productions only starting to pick back up. I'm curious for all the people that uh, that got a late start and and weren't doing this at at 14 and didn't have parents that were in the business and have no connections. You know, the the young Colemans out there. Any any words of wisdom or advice you have for them?
1: I think, um, well, the 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 advice that I would have is have a respect for this craft and what it is. Um, at the core of anyone, I always tell people, people are like, oh, I want a career like yours. And I say, I want you to want the whole career then. Don't just yeah. want what you see right now, want all yeah. of it. Want the heartbreak, want the moving around, the regional theater, the roads that lead to nowhere, the reinvention, the betting on yourself, want all of that. Yeah. Don't just want what you see now. 15 years ago, where I didn't have much of anything. Yeah. One, because I made a commitment as an artist. And when you make a commitment as an artist, there really is no guarantees. But the guarantee is that you have a life that you built and you create and you love and respect and you respect the work. Yeah. And even if you're going back and forth between productions, I would do a production on stage wearing thousands of dollars of costume and take my bow and I would get up and run across town and start bartending. That's a part of being an artist, that's yeah. all of it. That's yeah. the hustle, the, 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 the times when you feel like you, you can't do it anymore, but you dig down and you, you write that play, you create that opportunity. That's what it's about. And so I would yeah. tell the young Coleman's to respect the work and respect the life of an artist, yeah. and, um, but, but you gotta give it your all. And, you, and if you yeah. give it your all, I believe that anything that you give your life to has to provide for you. Yeah. I just think it has to. I think I think it's a universal um, thing. I do really believe that it's um, something scientific, scientific in, in a way that it does provide, I, and I, I'm witness to that. I, I bear witness to it truly.
0: I fully believe in that. And and you know, last last question, it, it, like I kind of going back to what I said, you know, through all this and, and theaters being dark, you know what's kept you Coleman inspired, you know, during these dark times, you know, we just are hearing about another killing today in Minnesota. It's just been, you know, very, very, very dark time in America, you know, and at times it feels hopeless.
1: It does feel hopeless, but I tell you, and this is for anyone who's listening today. I think that I know for sure that the revolution requires, It requires joy Yeah. to remind yourself what you're fighting for. Yeah, you need that fight. You need to try to help burn it all down and change the systems and make sure things are working for everybody. But you also need to have a dance party at yeah. Friday night by yourself. Yeah, And to, rem- to remember that you can move, that you have a body, that you have breath, that you have health. You need to go into the garden Like I have been, my whole garden is the whole other situation. Within one year, if you saw pictures of my garden last year to this year, you'll see what I mean. But I realized I was in there and I know for sure I was in there building and making sure that I can actually grow something. That I can take dirt and take the shit that we're given and I can transform it. I can transform my rage. I can transform uh, anything that I feel into growing a plant. Um, yeah. growing a garden. So that's been really helpful to me, to be very honest. And I think it restores my soul because you need that. I, I tell my fr- some of my friends who are just constantly watching the news and angry and internalizing, yeah. me, yo, that's going to make you sick, man. Yeah, I, I barely watch the news. So no, I watch the news. Day. I give myself a half hour, maybe every three days of news. Wow. I don't digest it as it's coming out because I feel like I will never get off that cycle. Yeah. Like I was for like, I think four years. Yeah. I was constantly there. I'm like, I'm not there anymore. People are like, you see what happened today? I I Unfortunately, I didn't even know what happened, that horrible shooting in, in Atlanta with those um, Asian women. I didn't yeah. know that happened until three days later. Wow. Because, and because it's hard to absorb that stuff on the daily because there's so much horror and in it's this world. it's
0: constant in America, you
1: know? So, so you just have to know when you can take it. When you hear, you like, go, what's going on? I don't know exactly what's going on, but when I'm ready to actually handle it, I can handle it. Because then I want to handle it and be useful with it. What can I do? Yeah. What can I do to be a part of the solution? How can I love my neighbor and do this or write this check to there or whatever? Then I find it's useful instead of just absorbing, absorbing, absorbing and laying down. Yeah. You know what I mean? So totally that's what I do. And I, that's what I that's what I'm doing. And I'm sticking to it hopefully for a while. right now it seems to be working because I do know that I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm hopeful. And you got Coleman's brunch party,
0: for- which is a great thing that Dude, we man, all need right now. Going on. Yeah. Yeah, man. I
1: got brunch going on. You know, I create, I create within it. Like even during the pandemic, I created a bottomless bunch of Coleman's because I was like, hey, there's something to connect us all. Yeah. You know, and keep go- Just you gotta keep you gotta keep going. Yeah, you gotta keep
0: going. I need that, all. Coleman Domingo. Yeah. This has been one of the greatest honors of my life. Please, brother, come back when it's the next project this year, later on, and let's dig into it. I have so much respect and love for you, and mm. everything you've done for me and for all the others act- actors out there. It's mm. it it's it, it's just it, it, you've got a shot mm. at immortality. You know, everything Thanks, that you've man. done, man, it's, it's going to forever live in our minds and, and the best is yet to come.
1: I appreciate it. I feel that way too, Ryan. And I yeah. want to also say thank you for all that you're doing. Thanks yeah. for the way you're connecting people, the way you're inspiring people. Thank you for being in service to the work yeah. in whatever shape and form it is. I appreciate you for doing what you're
0: doing, and I hope we get a chance to work together someday. You know, maybe I you know can, we will. You, you can kill me on with The Walking Dead, I'll kill you, at some point. yeah, I'll kill you at some point. All right, it's amazing, brother. Tell, so tell much. Holly, I plan on killing, killing you next. We'll
1: figure it out. All
0: right. all right, if you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.